0: Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. This is episode number 23, recorded on July 28th, 2021. Our guest is Yaron Verona, the co-founder of Virgil Systems, which focuses on the problems of cybersecurity. Wait until you hear everything he has to tell us. First, though, it's Grant and his special brand of tech news. All right, here's a chance for Grant to show exactly how much time he spends online with his look at uh, tech news that may or may not freak us out.
1: Okay, well, I'll just ask you a question. And if you know, I might not talk about it. Okay. You ever heard of iron, iron air batteries?
0: Iron air, no.
1: Okay, thank you. So we can talk about some. Okay. So um, the new inventive, not new, but what's getting a lot of attention now is um, iron air batteries are since worked by um, initiating and reversing the rust process. Okay. So metallic iron combines with oxygen um, to release energy and discharge the cycle. And why is that important? So what happens is the energy is applied to this rust. It's rust that you get, um, and then converts it back into metallic iron and releases its oxygen.
0: What, you reverse rust?
1: Yes. And, 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 and what it does then converts it back into metallic iron. Okay. So that's how rust is comes from. And essentially, um, and then it releases oxygen. It's a technology and it's been dead. It's been dormant for decades. Um, and I don't know why for decades. Um, but just so you know, it's like the efficiency makes the
0: current battery technology. So wait, so you have r- metallic iron, you introduced oxygen, it rusts. We know that, right? Right. And then you, what, take the oxygen out yeah, yeah. of the iron yeah, oxide? And they
1: scale it backwards.
0: And, and scale it backwards, and, okay. And, and,
1: and then hold on. So what that means really, though, is um, the lithium battery that we all talk about is very expensive. That's the problem. This will be a tenth of it. And so I think that it's worth talking about. Um, and they think this will be the new future. I'm not saying it will be. I'm just telling you what
0: I know. Um, I wonder what the there. energy to weight ratio is on something like that.
1: Well, do you know that that's the problem though right now is the is the ratio. And this, apparently this is much better. And um, about 2016 is when I started reading about this stuff. And it's coming to, to news now. And remember, as well, I got to understand something. China has the stranglehold on the lithium battery. Yeah, China and Chile. Yeah. So we need something. And so this is what's coming out now. And uh, so I just thought it would be interesting that people- Well, whoever
0: comes up with with the next big battery technology is going to rule the planet because that's going to change everything. You know, I've heard of, you've talked about solid state batteries. Uh, I've mentioned uh, sodium-based batteries. And now you're talking about, well- rust-based batteries. Well, um,
1: it's, um, the company is Boston Form Energy. Kind of cool. So in Boston, and they're they're developing this full lines grid style to work this way. I want to see how it works. I think it's gonna be pretty cool. I think it's very, very groundbreaking if it, you know what's funny? A lot of technology always comes back when it's economically makes sense. And this is one of them, so yeah. That's that one. Um, I think what really the key to this is what will happen um, if that works, because we already want to get away from lithium. I mean, that's why you've got solid state being built by uh, the, in, in Europe, backed by you know, Bezos and all those guys. Well, now this is another one. I don't think there's going to be more, but this is one that works. The, the idea of using the solid state technology they're using um, – at Quantum, uh, which is the group uh, that uh, is, everyone's invested in, that hasn't been proven out yet. If it does, as you know, solid state requires nothing. And it is the best by a mile. But it hasn't been proven out and it's very expensive. So this is just, you're going to see more and more of this come out now. And I was quite, I didn't know how this would work. It's like osmosis, right? Reverse osmosis. So anyhow, um, it's re, it's readdressed itself. And I'm, very interesting following it like i said the company is um is now doing a whole building a whole site out so very interesting now when you talk about oxygen hydrogen that's where everyone wants to go anyhow but hydrogen is too expensive as
0: well right it's yeah very abundant but it's yeah, hard to. great in. on
1: big big vehicles like buses and that but um we'll see um the um next one is kind of cool so i'm going to take you to cool so did you, well, you probably know this anyhow, you just got a new car. So Porsche's new vision of the electric van, have you seen it? I have. Ah, good. Okay. So I want to talk about it. Okay. Because as you know, it'll be fully electric and the front seat will be a center seat by itself. Right. And then there'll be two side seats. Slightly And back. then three at the back. Right. And they're just introducing it. I mean, they always come as a concept car. Um... I got to tell you, um, if that works, I want everyone to picture this. So you have a guy driving this in a center seat. So it's almost like it's a nose type front end, the Porsche. And so Porsche just introduced this. Of course, it was built. One reason was it's really built really for autonomous. Because really, in the end, everyone feels that's where we're going. There will not people driving the car. I mean, it'll drive its own the fact that they made it as a separate seat in the front, that's why it's there. Because think of it, no one wants to be the only driver. So I think the anticipation is that will be an empty seat sooner or later.
0: Or it won't be there at all, and that will be some sort of uh, technology hub.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, And I only brought it up because it's Porsche, and I truly believe that we don't realize that um, Central Drive, well, you know, it's kind of like a race car. You're driving it like a race car. You're sitting Well, on the they, track.
0: Porsche has a, um, interest in Rimac. Yes. Which is the Croatian RYMAC. supercar yep. company who have some interesting battery technology. Absolutely. And Rimac is not new. Um, uh, Rimac became part of Porsche simply because they ran out of money. But if you're part of Porsche, you're also part of Audi. You're also oh. part of Volkswagen. You're part of Lamborghini. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, um, you know, and who did who just bought um,
1: uh, what do you call it? Yeah, um, the other great car, two million
0: dollar car. Um, you know, Bugatti. Mm. So that, that just sold. Yeah, Bugatti is now part of. Oh, you know who bought Bugatti? Rimac. Yes, I said I knew it was a company in so Far East. So I mean, in the in the in so middle, Porsche, Eastern Europe. Yes, which is part of the Volkswagen Group. Yes, buys part of Rimac, and, and then Rimac in return. Buys Bugatti—that's what happened.
1: Okay. Okay. So it's an interesting. The minute you become part of Volkswagen you become something very big,
0: well, it's the biggest auto man- manufacturer in the well, world.
1: Well, don't bring up, don't bring up Tesla. Please stop it. Okay. Okay. Market cap, yes, but Volkswagen is the leader
0: in terms of Anything. market share. Yes.
1: Oh, oh no, um, and even electric cars are starting to take the hold with their div- different divisions, right? Um, and so the Volkswagen electric will outdo everybody. Well, when
0: you see governments. Saying that they want to eliminate the sale of internal combustion cars by 2035. Not going to happen. Sorry.
1: It seems awfully oh, optimistic. No. Forget it. Just don't even say the word but, guys. Come well, on. What, what is,
0: isn't that maybe just a carrot and stick approach saying forcing the industry to move? We always did that. that. And, I, and I agree with it, by the way. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen.
1: 2035 is out to lunch, but it's happening. I mean, that's less, that's 13 and a half years. It's not going to happen. No, no. We, You couldn't physically do it. Friend of mine, if you want, you couldn't physically build the cars. They can't even meet, build cars now. I mean, Well, so- for,
0: forget building the cars. I mean, you would have Infrastructure. to. Well, that's it. Your, your entire supply chain changes. You know, you don't have a, you don't have a, a factories making engine blocks. You don't have factories making, um, you know. Oh, and regular the transmissions, charging stations,
1: infrastructure. Then, right, it's going to happen. There's no one. I think 35 is kind of get get to kick everyone in the butt. All right, and I like it, and, and I'm all for it. By the way, and um, like I told you, my next car will probably be electric. After the one I just bought, it'll be electric if yeah. if they can provide me the service I need.
0: Right. I mean, Jaguar's moving all electric. Volvo's moving all electric. Uh, Porsche right. says that they're going to be all electric. Yeah, and Tesla will be out of the car business, but
1: they'll be in the moon. See, he, this is just a step. This is a step. This guy is way beyond that. Now, the third, the last thing I'm going to talk about is you're going to think I'm crazy when I say this. Here's what I'm going to tell you about. I'm going to tell you something that you already know. And you're going to go, we're talking technology here. Okay. So as you know, the Canadian border workers are planning to strike, right? They're going to strike for more money at the border. Why would I talk about that?
0: I have no idea. I thank
1: you, Alan. Um, we don't need them. Okay. And, you know, it started out with when the nurses said they should make the same as doctors. We read about it in The Pandemic has created this. They're so important and they are, but unfortunately nurses, you're not doctors. And now we got the border crosses, you know, I'm going to strike. And yeah, they're going to, you know, what's going to happen. If nobody knows now, thank you for making the production of robots faster. These unions are sitting here going, let's do this and that. They're not thinking. They don't know that. Okay. um, Guess what? Robots are big now. And because people haven't seen them doesn't mean they're not there. Yes, we know drones and they are just robots in the air. They've been around longer, but. I'm telling you now, When whenever these guys strike, they're sitting around a room and they don't know what they're saying is, go replace me. And that concerns me, by the way, like, I don't want to see that happen, but it's going to happen. And what's going to happen is people are going to start saying, well, I can't afford these guys to go on strike. I can't afford to pay them. Well, guess what? There's only one way around it. I know. I couldn't have said that 30 years ago. It's robots. And so when someone like the border, which is big, They can never be afforded to be shut down by strike just like the air traffic controllers could not when reagan forced them back fired them all all, and it worked now if we had robotics then it would have been worse but if i was these people at the border i'd be thinking twice about striking if i was anyone making demands that just don't really economically are going to get anywhere you're just asking people to initiate the robotic age, which is happening now. I'd rather work hard and blend in the robotic age than lose my job. And so I leave that more as a food for thought of the smart city and where we're going. And people, I always say, be careful what you ask for, because what you're asking for is here. But I think that uh, it's about working in continuity with what's going on. Those are the people that are gonna survive. But I got to tell you, when I read this, I'm thinking, oh, boy, I'm sitting in a boardroom saying, well, how much automation, how much automation can I do? We have this company, I don't know if you ever heard of them, they're called Amazon. And it's going to happen over and over again. And so I just think it's a good way to end
0: it in the smart city world to think about those type of things. Yaron Verona has quite the resume, which you'll hear about in just a second. He's the co-founder of Toronto-based Virgil Systems, a company that has come up with some innovative ways to deal with cybersecurity issues, such as ransomware and attacks on critical infrastructure. He came into Locomobi headquarters for a talk. Let's start from the beginning and and try to figure out exactly where it is that you came from. Start at the very beginning.
2: The very beginning. Yes. Uh, I was born on a small island in the Caribbean, uh, Curacao, uh, but actually grew up here in Toronto. I've been to Curacao, very nice. Yeah, so I grew up in Toronto, uh, did a double major in business and physics at Waterloo and really had the intention of combining technology and science with business and seeing how I could fundamentally change the world. My first few years uh, after university, I was telling Grant, was at um, uh, Celestica working in supply chain management, wasn't the technology experience that I was looking for and decided to quit, sell everything and travel around the world. Uh, for a year.
0: So this is Celestica and Markham.
2: That's right. Yeah. Uh, traveled around the world for a year. At the time, it was actually at Don Mills in Eglinton. Oh, right. Sorry. Uh, it, it took me seven years to come back home. Uh, I actually ended up uh, working for a few months in uh, Thailand, creating marketing strategies for Northern Hill Tribes women's groups to sell handicrafts to replace the need for opium trade. I then worked <laughs> I'm in- I'm yeah, I like it, that. Okay, it's, let's, it's, let's back this one up just quickly. Just
0: yeah, because it's not the normal thing that you would see on a on a on a resume saying yeah, I helped tribal
2: women get off opium. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's cool. Listen, Pretty cool. Yeah, very worthwhile. It Good. was entirely random, serendipitous. No kidding. Cool. Um, I then moved on to China, where I was hired as a consultant to research and implement corporate social responsibility uh, procedures into the supply chain of a North American electronics manufacturer, visiting their plants, seeing what kind of practices they had in place with regards to human rights, to environmental management, to ethics, and creating an audit procedure so that improvements could be made over time.
0: Oh, okay. So that must have been interesting. But I think, I mean, it tells you how, why they
2: are where they are today. Well, it, They take it very seriously. No, no, I, I understand. But I, I can just imagine coming in there cold and seeing... Um, Somebody Mm. leaning over a vat of molten aluminum, stirring it with With a one-foot piece of metal stick wearing no protective equipment at all.
0: And probably wearing flip-flops.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'd be doing. (sighs) Okay. Then moved on to London, England to do an MBA focused on entrepreneurial uh, finance. Um, at the London Business School. And since then, I've been working with a series of Series A early stage startups, building financial models, doing corporate uh, finance work. And after a few of those consulting contracts, I ended up at the Institute for the Analysis of Global Security in Washington, D.C., working remotely, actually, from Israel. And I did a project that was really interesting there on the risk to critical energy infrastructure with the NATO Energy Security Center of Excellence in Lithuania. And I fell really deeply down the cybersecurity rabbit hole. I'm not a cybersecurity operational specialist, but it's something that really lights me up. And I thought about it this way. I thought, as the world progresses, we've always, as long as we've got bodies, we're going to need doctors. And so long as we have... Electronics and computers and connected devices—we're going to need cybersecurity. And I got really excited, fell down the rabbit hole.
0: Well, it, the Baltics is is like a a world center for that sort of stuff, isn't it?
2: Yeah. So there's a lot of activity. Certainly, you know, Estonia has the NATO, NATO Center of Excellence on cybersecurity, and I mean, there's a lot of activity simply because you have right there kind of the border between the NATO allied countries and of course Russia which is a significant player in the the global market for cybersecurity uh on uh potentially either either as a nation state actor or individuals uh, acting independently is a great source of pain and frustration for a lot of companies. Yes,
0: cozy bear. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
2: okay. So
0: I <laughs> can okay, I'm thinking about my resume now and it's a little little light. <laughs>
2: I wouldn't say that. I, 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 <laughs> so
1: wait a minute. So we're not current yet.
2: No, we're not. We're not current yet. So you, okay. Estonia. Is, is that where you are? Well, no, I was, I was in Washington, D.C. Uh, at, at a think tank working remotely yeah. from Israel before okay. I moved back to Toronto. Um, and after falling down this rabbit hole, I decided, okay, now it's time for me to actually put my hat in the ring and, and get into cybersecurity as an entrepreneur, not just working for entrepreneurs. I launched my last venture, which unfortunately didn't do so well. Um, we focused on detecting threats on mobile devices and oh. IoT devices Welcome using artificial intelligence. World. Yeah. You, Absolutely. You, you get kicked down, you get back up. That's what you do. Uh, and and that's exactly what I did. We we raised some VC money. We got a little bit into actually blockchain, and I fell down the blockchain uh rabbit hole as well quite quite significantly. And we built an entire uh ecosystem and Uh, economy around monetizing cybersecurity to make it a source of profit rather than a cost for device manufacturers. After I shut that down, uh, I met the founder, Aaron Majumdar, of my current venture, Virgil Systems, and uh, we took a look at his history, which was really unique as well, and and maybe that'll be a story for another time. But really working with both the Canadian and U.S. governments on uh, their cyber defense posture um, and... Because of his deep expertise and, and technology, uh, technological uh, understanding, he's really a polymath, holding patents in cryptography and quantum mechanics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. Um, and uh, so he also works closely with Barney, uh, Barney Pell, and you know, um, Alan. You, we did Barney.
0: Yeah, you're your buddy and Yeah,
2: and um, that's how I met these guys. Okay. Um, they're all smart guys, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really, really, really clever guys in the room with me. I like to surround myself with people who are smarter than myself. Yeah, so well, you are really well.
0: sorry, sorry today, by the hey. <laughs> yeah, when you're the smartest person in the room, you've got a problem.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, so we really founded Virgil Systems with the intent of creating the future of trusted data communications in a world that has no trust. There's the zero trust world where you need to assume that every device in your network, in your home, in your business, has been compromised. That the data can be infiltrated, and so we founded Virgil with the vision of changing the future so that people can, people, organizations, governments can once again trust the data going across. So the this network. is
0: this is enterprise level rather than consumer level. Correct. Okay. B two B. Right. So uh, what's okay? So I would guess you would work on work with governments on things like um, hardening the electrical grid or. Um,
2: What else? So, you know, to take a a step back and think about what is cybersecurity and why is it important? When we talk about cybersecurity, we talk about uh, protecting data, the confidentiality, so privacy of data, the integrity of data, making sure that the data is what you expect it to be, and the availability of data, making sure that it's available. And there are a lot of different actors out there that are trying to suppress that. So if we think about what's really hot in the news right now and for the past little while, the real unsolved problem around ransomware. Ransomware um, not only uh, compromises the confidentiality of data because it allows the attackers to gather it and then release it for the ransom, but it also compromises the integrity and availability. They change the data or they uh, make it inaccessible to you unless you pay the ransom and hopefully they unlock it. And so when we think about cybersecurity, we think about that confidentiality, integrity, availability, what they call the CIA triad. Uh, So what's interesting about what we're doing is our system allows uh, complete protection for data, both at rest and in motion, against attacks, against confidentiality and integrity and availability.
0: Well, how can you do that when a lot of this is psychological or, sorry, social engineering, where you get somebody to you know, you spearfish somebody to open an email and all of a sudden they've got access to your networks? So, you know, how how do you get around the, the human element?
2: Um, the human element is the hardest one. And, and that's really about training uh, and out of scope for what we do. We really focus on the data rather than the people. Um, within within the the access and, and assuring the identity and the veracity of the person accessing the data, there are technologies out there um, that can improve it. So, you know, I recommend everybody use multi-factor authentication uh, using a mobile phone and a password, something you have, something you own, something you are, so that Uh, you can be assured that the person logging in is actually who they say they are. Once you've got that, our system ties that identity to the data and transforms the data in a way that makes it very, very expensive, prohibitively expensive to hack both now and in the future. Well, how do you do that? Uh, So it's a really unique process uh, that we've patented where we uh, take the data, we transform it. Uh, in an interesting way, adding error-correcting codes, tying it into the identity, breaking up into little pieces uh, so that if you think about a picture of a cat or a car, um, you break that picture up into lots of little pieces, you encode it, and then you send it over a network, a peer-to-peer network, so that each node in the network has a small piece, but none of them have the whole thing, and nobody really knows what they have. So that data is now spread out, and we're able to Uh, create a map of where all of that data is and using a secure channel, uh, depending on the customer, we have different secure channels that we can use so that the recipient of that data, whether it's myself as the recipient or me sending it to you, can then go out and find all of those, gather them together, reassemble them, and assure based on the mathematics of the data itself that it has remained in integrity. If a piece of it has changed, and this is really the groundbreaking part, even if up to 80% of the data has been changed or lost or altered, from the 20% that remains, we're able to reconstitute the whole Hear thing. Hear that, Alan? Recreate it.
0: How can you recreate something out of something that doesn't exist anymore?
2: So it does exist, but it's scattered and nobody really knows except whoever has that map uh, oh, can okay. can reassemble it. But they only really need to assemble reassemble 20% of it from that 20%. It contains the information of the whole. It can reassemble everything. It can expand that whole program within that twenty percent. So
0: is okay. This is encryption. Is this is this um,
2: compression? Is this? Well, Alan, we're gonna have to kill you if we tell you. Sounds like it. No, absolutely not. It's 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 interesting. There there is some encryption, but it's already we're using uh, uh, public key infrastructure encryption unless it's dealing with particular customers. Um, So when we deal with governments, uh, for example, they have invested billions and trillions into their encryption systems. We're not going to really be able to improve much on those, except that we add a crucial element, which is one of the techniques that adversaries are using are gathering up information that is encrypted on various cloud servers, um, on computers. And even if it's encrypted and they can't decrypt it now, they know that they will be able to in the future. So it's a kind of a store now, decrypt later. Well, that's,
0: that's where quantum computing comes in.
2: Exactly. What we've created is actually... Quantum decryption resistant because so the data I, is whoa, okay. defend, whoa, 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 defend whoa,
0: whoa, whoa. rather than attack. Okay, so this is something that we've talked about. No, we talk program, all, the time. all the time about, about yeah, quantum computing and how it's going to. I told you totally, this. I know, I know. I know. Let me get my thing in. Uh, we we're, we're going. We're, we're we've been talking about quantum computing and uh, and and how this is going to completely destroy any encryption uh, systems that are currently in place. I mean, you know, two hundred fifty six, five twelve, whatever it is. It's it's never going to be enough. Be enough. Yeah. Uh, so you have come up with a way to block quantum power when it comes to decrypting encrypted information.
2: So we're not protecting decrypting of the encrypted information if they manage to gather everything. But if we think about a piece of data that's now been spread out over a hundred, a 1, thousand different nodes, each node just has a thousandth of the data. A
1: lot. He's saying... It's all very expensive. You wanted to create something, to go out and do that. Uh, it's a lot of work. And that's what thieves do, okay? So um, when, you know, and I and I say, so for them to come in a, and even try to think of how to write our pro- programs, to go out and do the same thing and find it, it's not worth it. Think think and about it. You just it couldn't if, do it. Think I mean, about
2: it from this analogy, um, which is kind of the way I like to create a picture in my mind of... Uh, a king in medieval Europe trying to send a d- encrypted message to his generals. And so what he does is he takes that message, he then encrypts it using whatever code he happens to use. Um, and then he has scribes write out, you know, ten, 10 letters of it on each piece of paper and split it out amongst 100 writers. And the 100 writers go out. Now, if I have the smartest decryptor on the planet, and I capture one of those riders, I still can't decrypt the whole message because I only have a small piece. And even that is scrambled and the rider can't read it. Um, and so that's really what we're doing with the data is we're allowing the riders to essentially carry this in multiple locations. And if 80 of the 100 riders get destroyed, uh, get, get attacked and get lost, but 20, 20 of those 100 riders make it through, the recipient of that message can then gather up those individual pieces and reassemble it. But any attackers on the way that are listening, that are trying to pick up it's pieces amazing. of the message, not only don't know what the whole message is, but they actually don't know that they have a message at all because it looks like just noise.
0: Okay, so this is highly decentralized.
2: Yes, it is. No, extremely that's the key. Yeah, I right? I it's the key. Yeah. What are your nodes? What are our nodes? Anything. So it's been written into a very, very tiny package. We actually ran a demonstration last week for one of our customers um, actually using a smart city testbed in Ottawa called Area X.Otto that is run by Invest Ottawa in partnership with the province of Ontario and the government of Canada and uh, some corporate partners. And our demonstration was a search and rescue operation. The search and rescue operation used a mobile application that allows first responders or soldiers to communicate situational awareness about what's going on. Is there a hazard? Um, Is there a road here? Where is uh, the person who's lost? So we built it into uh, Android devices. We've also built it into small Raspberry Pis. It runs on large AWS servers, on laptops. Uh, it can really run on anything that has, you know, a, even a small footprint because we're not memory it, intensive. Think of that because it's spread out everywhere. We've built it in such a way that we're able to build a a web of communi- data communication of trust so that you know that when you're communicating with an, an an end user or or some other device, none of that information can be manipulated or altered.
0: Because it's so decentralized and because each node would have its own little bit of encryption.
2: And we create a proof of the data integrity within the way that we send it. So you can check on receipt, is this what I received? And has anybody tried to alter any of the information along the way so it also has an interesting side effect of providing a digital footprint or a shadow of a potential adversary in your network of an attacker sitting there trying to change or read your data if they're changing the data and you're receiving the data still in integrity but you know that you know oh, the oh, yeah. nodes here and here have been altered we're able to detect hmm, somebody's there that we haven't detected
0: right so it's early detection
2: well,
1: and and
0: you
2: guys think so alan um
1: i should back up a bit so this whole introduction came through my normal buddy calls with Barney. And we always ask here, what's new? And so he brings up this great company called Virgil Networks and he explains it to me. And I said, get out of here. You gotta be kidding me, Barney. We've talked about this so many times. And here's what I said though, Barney, you're talking about defense, you're talking about NASA and that's your realm, but I gotta tell you something. There is no smart city if you can't protect the data. Your, There's no such thing.
2: Your first, um, your first guest on this podcast from Amazon uh, spoke about the reliance on data. Okay, and so he wa- listens to all the podcasts. That's good. Sandy good. Carter. Yep. She so she was the introduce she
1: introduced mm-hmm. Watson to the world mm-hmm. before she went there. So you know. And yeah. uh, she's an amazing woman.
2: There, There is a reliance on data. You know, we're sitting here and we're connected even now with, with my headset. And I know this is this is audio. This is analog. Uh, but it's connected to your laptop. My cell phone is sitting here. Um, the TV is there. Uh, we're surrounded by all kinds of different machines that need to communicate. And if we think about making decisions on a split-second basis within a smart city that will redirect traffic, that will allocate resources. He's dead on. Where, where Where is there uh, a water shortage? Where do the police need to be deployed? Um, if we think about uh, policymakers making decisions on that are a critical. grand scale, yeah. all of yeah. our decisions need to start with data. You know, there's the old adage, you start with data, you then get knowledge and then you get wisdom. But if you can't trust the data, you can't have anything else. And, and we so, do. Hold on. The problem is we all trust the data. I don't know.
1: Well, mind, I have, have no you idea. You just because- trust it. No, everyone does. Oh, it's real. You don't know that. And you may not know that until you're, they may hold that data for two years and then explode on you. Okay. In other words, not all attacks are immediate.
2: That's right. Okay. Usually you attackers that. will sit resident within a network for that. a while, yeah. gathering telemetry, gaining the intelligence in order to build out their exploits later.
1: You may get attacked four years from now and go, what the heck happened? But the point is, my viewpoint was. We are in the smart city world, locomotive world and so on. And I said, Barney, that's great we're doing, but I don't believe anyone can say they're truly a smart community or city without protecting what they're moving around, which is we live the world of data. And this company um, has come up with the idea that we thought folded in very well with the whole world of smart, smart country, if, I, if you want to say that. And so the important part of this is let's stop ta- talking smart until you really are smart. Smart is when I can be assured what I send you guys is real and you can return the same, whether it be from a device, from network to network. All those things to me, I think are very important.
2: How does the Internet of Things work into this? Well, the Internet of Things, if you think about it, is, is pretty much everything. When we think about the Internet, we think about servers and computers. And... The Internet of Things includes mobile devices. Mobile devices are embedded systems. They're really, really smart ones, and we all carry them. Um, But within the smart city context, you know, traffic lights and garbage cans and all of the infrastructure that has now become connected and intelligent and able to either call back from a cloud service with decisions that have been made using AI or even locally with edge compute and edge decision making. You wanna make sure that all of that data has been uh, has been communicated with trust and hasn't been altered by an attacker.
0: All right. So nobody's gonna get into my refrigerator.
2: That's right. Well, how about your cameras and and everything else in your damn you you do wanna make sure that there there are security policies in place. So one of the big things that people were a while ago when I got into this, I was watching news about, you know, creeps hacking into baby baby camps. Baby monitors, right? Baby monitors. Um and ultimately a lot of the problem there is people just don't change their default username and password. And so the first thing you should do whenever you get any device, change the password from the default one um, because that's a source of attack.
0: Interesting. Why would, okay... Just, just let's going back to the baby monitors for a second. What would, uh, I guess, be just creepy people that we're looking to? Oh,
2: there are creepy people. Well, no,
0: I'm, I just um, what would, what would images, motivate somebody? Baby images. All right,
2: fine. No, actually, so, so one of the the really big internet outages a few years ago was called the Mirai botnet. Mirai was a virus that infected um, CCTV cameras around the world. Very small payload, but when you have you know millions of devices that you've enslaved into a bot network, a yeah. botnet. You can launch a massive distributed denial of service attack on a third party. Um, And and it actually happened uh, a few years ago. It brought down the internet on the East Coast for a few days where a significant distributed denial of service attack took place. Now, if we have that same infrastructure, what happened there was they were targeting a central server in order to bring it down. The keyword there is central. Not them. They were going throughout the uh, nodes. The attackers from all of these nodes were attacking from the nodes a single centralized point of failure. And what we're introducing is take away that centralized point of failure and distribute the data so communication.
0: We, we had something with Akamai a little while ago where a whole bunch of big big sites went down for a few hours, and it was the same because it was a it was were a, just
1: talking about it. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah.
0: A, it was it was a central point of failure. Yeah, And, you know, and I, think, I think this really freaks out a lot of you know civilians who don't realize that the internet goes through any number. But not the problem? It doesn't freak out a lot of people. It should freak out a lot of people.
1: Yeah, Guys, when we hang up all of 100 emails for all kinds of stuff attached and all the thing, I don't touch them.
2: Well, we don't want to go through life being afraid. But what we do want is that the people who understand how to build the infrastructure are doing so intelligently to not only prevent the threats of today, but also building forward-looking prevention and defenses for threats of tomorrow. Okay.
0: A question. Yeah. This sounds like it's very energy intensive. Is it?
2: Uh, from a protection perspective. No, it's a very small footprint within any kind of device. It doesn't use up a lot of energy. It's a good question. It's It's a great question question because underlying what we built is actually a distributed ledger technology. Same kind of thing as as a blockchain. Um, The difference between what we're doing and say, if we think about Bitcoin, which does consume a lot of energy, creates a lot of value in the process. um, I I really love the idea of... uh, I like using analogies. Blockchain, as it started, you know the first big use case is currency. We all know about Bitcoin and ethereum and and all of the cryptocurrencies that have emerged um, that um, Elon Musk have now made super pop- popular. but um, and and before him, those consume a lot of energy. If we think about the internet as as an analogy for blockchain and an enabling technology that really changed the way that we live our lives on a daily basis, the internet started, if we think about Amazon, you know, take a brick and mortar store, put it on the internet, you have an electronic bookstore. Great. But if we think about what Amazon is today, it's way more than a bookstore, way more than a marketplace. It's an entirely new kind of architecture and infrastructure for communicating data around the world. Now, if we think about blockchain in the same light, it started off with currency, great first use case. Now we're extending that, we thought, and, and part of my motivation over the years is how can we take that same infrastructure that relies on cryptography and math in order to create a rule set? What can we build beyond cryptocurrencies that can make our world a better place? And that's why we use that distributed ledger architecture in order to build what we do, but in a very energy, not energy intensive kind of way where you know it's, it's distributed in such a way and uses a completely different proof, a proof of integrity. In order to make sure that all of the data remains in integrity.
0: Because one of the big problems with blockchain is that the ledgers get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and memory every
1: time. And, yeah. and energy is unbelievable. But, but but also, isn't the big concern along with that is the whole thing of quantum physics? Being able to go in there and essentially drill around any any type of Bitcoin security?
2: Yeah. So quantum computing is really unique uh, and amazing in terms of its architecture of traditional computing. You know, one plus one is not two. Right. You you can you can can compute with a quantum computer, you know, all of the guesses at once to get which is the right one. And so to build in a protection that defeats that or makes it even more difficult, you would need to store the entire data of the world and compute against it all the time, constantly (laughs) in order to solve the riddle that we have presented. All right.
0: Let me ask a couple of questions about quantum computing. How far along are we with the technology? What are these? Where are these machines, and how powerful are they? And are they being used uh, for enterprise and consumer um, initiatives?
2: I'm I'm not an expert by any means in quantum computing. I'll start off with that, and I haven't followed it in a while because I do focus on on cybersecurity. I will say though that um, we typically underestimate the amount of change that can undergo within a few years. You know, if we think about exponential change and Moore's law, for example, and the way things change uh, with regards to miniaturization, uh, all we have to do is think back, you know, 10 years ago, what was our world like? You know, going back to my story about traveling around the world, I um, was in Cambodia as, as one of my last stops kind of backpacking before getting back to work as a consultant, um, riding along dirt roads on the back of a motorcycle with my big backpack on my back to the airport, I took off on this airplane. And, you know, over the course of 2004, 2005, a lot changed. Um, With my backpack on, I got on the airplane, flew to Hong Kong, and it was like I was in a time machine. Because when I landed in Hong Kong, I sat down in a cafe, I had just bought a brand new laptop computer, never had a laptop computer before that, Um, opened it up, and instantly was connected to the internet. And, That was entirely new. And the pace, the accelerated pace of change within our world is so significant that we can't predict when quantum computing will become into uh, generalized use. But it is a, right now it's extremely difficult, extremely expensive, and extremely specialized. I am aware of innovations that are changing that, where you can emulate a quantum computer using software and create the same result. So it, it's it's really interesting um, to see where the future will bring us over the the coming few years. It will be very different, and we need to look forward. One of the conferences I spoke in a while ago was called the Unintended Consequences of Technology, and we need to think about consciously whenever we adopt a new technology. What impact is it going to have besides making things a little bit easier? No, you always have to look at the negative impact before you do it, and and on the quantum, as you know, they.
1: Uh, the Chinese just launched a satellite to um, in in space to work on quantum computing, um, and so I think that what you're going to find is um, the problem why no one's issued quantum computing as a commercial application is they're still afraid how to defend against it. So you won't see banks do it. You won't see. But I think if you come up with technology like what uh, Virgil's doing
0: it brings us closer together. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because I am not going to commit my enterprise infrastructure to something that I can't uh, protect. But what
1: I like is what they're doing is very different in that quantum is, of course, a big future of where we're going. No, there's no doubt guys, but, but networks and security networks start with how you handle data. And um, there's always going to be someone else that's going to crack that data. Because the minute I say I have this, they say I have this. I get all that. But I truly believe that the first step is making sure that you're handling data properly and as secure as you can. And yes, you have to you have to have the ability to change. You have to have the ability to change yeah. though, with quant.
2: With and the- and the the ultimate philosophy that is really being adopted by governments right now and large enterprises is to take the zero trust approach. You cannot trust the devices. You need to create a system that can operate that allows you to trust the data within untrusted environments.
0: Okay. Last question: Virgil Systems has been talking about well, you talked about ransomware. What are the other areas of cybersecurity that keep you awake at night?
2: Um. Yeah, that's a that's that's a it's one um, of my questions.
1: I, this is a good one. Come it's, on,
2: it's it's a great question. Aside from ransomware. Uh, and data breaches. For me, it's critical infrastructure. You know, there was a water treatment plant that got hacked uh, just a, a few yeah, months yeah, ago. Yeah. Um, critical infrastructure, the the infrastructure that allows us to live our lives, banking, utilities. Now you see where I'm going, Alan. Yeah, I do. Awesome. It's,
1: smart. It's, it's unbelievable. Um,
2: I mean, do do I care? I, and and I guess my my searches are are relatively benign when I surf the internet. Um, As a data for I'm not one of the Internet creeps. Um, And so I am concerned about my privacy. But ultimately, if somebody violates my privacy, it really, really sucks. I expect it to happen, but it doesn't keep me awake at night. What really worries me um, within a cybersecurity context is protecting critical infrastructure from attack.
0: Okay, again, now I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight because I'm going to be thinking about all these things that are going to be attacking my internet. Sleep
2: pipe. well because you know that there are lots of people on the good side of things working to protect things for them. now. In hopefully, the future.
1: we're going to get someone on one day that teaches how to sleep because I don't sleep anyhow. When you have this type of exciting technology, I go home, I'm, you know me, even at yeah. my age, I'm excited as hell when you get to be part of such great technology.
0: Uh, Jaron and Virgil Systems, uh, thank you for being here with us. Um, I think we're going to have to have you back because so many more things that we need to talk about.
2: I would love that. Thanks so much, Alan. Thanks, Grant.
0: That's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. Thanks again to Jaron Verona, the co-founder of Virgil Systems. We're already working hard on the next program, so we can keep bringing you the latest from the universe of smart technology. Comments are welcome through feedback at thesmartcity.blog. And check out our website, smartcity.blog for past programs, as well as who and what else is coming up. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Executive Producer's Grant Furlane. Technical production by Rob Johnston. Executive Assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.